Welcome to episode number one of the Sectarian States. The purpose of this podcast is threefold. First, to persuade you that America needs to break up. Second, to show how a breakup is inevitable and must be dealt with now while we can still do it without a war. And third, to discuss various ways in which we could do the breakup without a war. Before we get into any philosophizing, though, I think a bit of current events discussion is in order. As I'm sure you know, recently Ruth Bader Ginsburg, liberal-leaning Supreme Court justice, died. That leaves her spot open on the Supreme Court, weeks before a hotly contested election that is, of course, the end of the world and the most important election of our lifetimes. It's funny how every election seems to be the most important one of our lifetimes. That sentiment is, of course, a reason we need to have a national divorce, but that's a topic for later. RGB's death, of course, opens up a can of worms. Well, no, the can of worms has already been opened. I'm not sure what metaphor captures opening up the third or fourth or fifth can of worms, but at this point, there's just worms everywhere. Like so many things in politics, a perspective broader than the last two weeks is both necessary to understand what is going on, and it's also lacking in most people's minds. So, a quick modern history lesson. In late 2013, the Senate Democrats were pretty mad at the Senate Republicans. You see, President Obama used his constitutional power to nominate judges to vacant positions, which then moves the ball to the Senate, whose duty is to advise and consent to the president on judicial appointments. The Democrats had a slim majority at the time, 55 to 45, which means that they should be able to consent to pretty much whatever Obama put in front of them, except for a rule of the Senate regarding filibustering and cloture. Long story short, the vote has to be 51 yeas for something to pass. However, 60-plus senators have to vote yay on cloture to bring that uh, vote up. If fewer than 60 senators vote for cloture, you have a filibuster, which basically prevents the bill from passing. So basically, basically, you need 60% of the Senate to agree to vote yes in order for a lot of things to pass, including the appointment of federal judges. Again, this is a paragraph instead of a term paper. There's a lot I left out. That's the important gist of it. Cloture votes and the filibuster, however, are not constitutional rules. They're the rules of the Senate, and the Senate can vote to change those rules. Republicans were filibustering some 70-odd or so judicial appointments because, well, they didn't like the judges, or they thought the judges were unnecessary, or really the reason doesn't matter. The Republicans were doing something the Democrats didn't like, therefore the Democrats changed the cloture rules on all judicial appointments except for Supreme Court appointments. And since November of 2013, those have been the rules, upending rules from the Senate that, while having morphed over time, essentially go back to a couple of centuries worth of parliamentary procedures and traditions. It was a tradition for that long because the parties knew they wouldn't always be in power. The Democrats didn't like that they couldn't pass everything when they were in the majority, but they liked that the Republicans couldn't pass everything when they were in the majority, and vice versa. 
It also provided a bit of, of a moderating element to judicial appointments. You wouldn't nominate somebody too radical unless you have a filibuster proof of majority because the other side would just filibuster it, wasting everyone's time and political capital. Well, that long tradition just went out the window, but remained in place for Supreme Court appointments in 2013. In 2016, however, during Obama's last year of presidency, the Republicans now had the majority. In February of 2016, Antonin Scalia, Supreme Court Justice, died opening up a spot on the court. Because his party no longer controlled the Senate, Obama had to pick a more moderate choice than he probably otherwise would have in Merrick Garland, uh, described as a moderate liberal or a centrist, some would even call him more conservative-leaning. So with eight months or so before the election, Republicans said that they would not even hold a vote for Garland, probably because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was afraid that too many Republicans would vote yes for him, and that the next president should appoint the next justice. And frankly, this was a big gamble for him if the next president was a Democrat, and if the Senate flipped, which was not unlikely, given that there were two Republican senators up for re-election for every one Democrat up for re-election, then a much more liberal justice could have been appointed. But no, their gambit paid off, and Trump and the still Republican-controlled Senate appointed Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. But the norm-bending was still there. I mean, nothing unconstitutional happened, nothing illegal happened, whatever. You can call the various tricks shady or breaking with norms or traditions, but it was all perfectly legal. And the next thing that happened was in 2018, before that year's elections. Anthony Kennedy stepped down after 30 or so years on the Supreme Court bench, and Trump nominated Brett Kavanaugh. The Kavanaugh hearings were, shall we say, made complicated by charges of sexual misconduct earlier in the judge's life. Regardless of what you think of those charges, they resulted in the Democrats having a good excuse to not vote for cloture. So, the Republicans got rid of cloture for Supreme Court appointments. They finished what the Democrats had started. And that brings us to today. RBG is dead. Mere weeks before the election, the Republicans are going to nominate and probably appoint a new justice, probably before Election Day, because all of the old speed bumps are gone. It is entirely feasible that Trump nominates someone and the Republicans could railroad it through rather quickly. We're thinking days, not the weeks that we're used to. Here's the thing, though. Both getting rid of the filibuster or not confirming a SCOTUS appointment or of the opposing party during an election year or confirming a Supreme Court appointment of the same party during an election all those various things are supported by those who approve of the party doing those actions and opposed by those who do not like the party doing those actions. Both positions could be defended and opposed honestly by people in good faith. There is a certain amount of hypocrisy present in both sides, even though the various situations were different enough to either have a good reason or a good excuse to change their mind. But ever since RBG died, more brinksmanship has been promised. The pure anger from people is, it's amazing, it's impressive, it's awe-inspiring. The pure joy from others is the same. The most transparently partisan and authoritarian attack I've heard is a, a multi-pronged attack once, of course, Biden wins the election and the Democrats get the Senate back and the House and it's all Democrats all the way down. But it's, it's you're going to pack the courts, you're going to make D.C. and Puerto Rico states, you're going to end the Electoral College, you're going to split California into five states and have Democratic Party 
hegemony from here on out because Republicans are evil and must be defeated at all costs. And yes, I said authoritarian there. I, I meant that word. Even if you agree with the Democrats on any policy issue, it's a very authoritarian attack. Looking at one poll, around 39% of Americans are Republican or lean Republican, and around 48% are Democrat or lean Democrat. Another poll tells us that 35% are conservative, 26% liberal, 35% moderate. The last presidential election we had was about 48% Democrat and 46% Republican. First, think what those numbers should tell you. Uh, we don't belong together. Every day, something new happens that shows us. It's the TikTok woman screaming in her car that RBG died and Trump is horrible and everything is horrible. It's your Facebook uncle talking about how the protests are all riots orchestrated by left-wing communists to take away our guns and our God. Speaking of God, God forbid someone who exists outside of the Republican Democratic paradigm make a statement about, well, how both of those people are wrong, mistaken, hypocritical, or whatever. They'll just get jumped on and accused of being on the opposite side of whoever they're talking to. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. You're, okay, he'll admit it, you're slightly racist uncle who drinks Coors Light and thinks weed should be illegal except at Skinner concerts, and the green-haired lesbian Montessori preschool teacher, they shouldn't really have to exist in the same polity. One should not make rules for the other. One should not have a say in the affairs of the other. They will never agree on almost anything. In non-political life, the solution to this is simple. They just shouldn't hang out together. Somewhere around 50% or so of marriages end in divorce. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Sometimes people start out well together and they grow apart. Sometimes their marriage was a rash decision that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Look, it sucks, and according to some religious principles, it might even be immoral. But what sucks even more? Getting a divorce or staying with someone that you will grow to hate more and more every day. What's more immoral? Giving up on a marriage that doesn't work for whatever reason, or staying married and making yourself, your partner, and those who love you and or the other person miserable. And which is better, to wait until things are really, truly horrible, and you and your partner spend nights screaming at each other, or worse, hitting each other, or to recognize earlier that things aren't good, and to end it then. And yet, not every disagreement should end in divorce, or else the divorce rate would be 100%. At some point, though, you should be able to recognize that divorce is the best option. Hopefully, it's before one of you or the other levels a shotgun at the other. I'm no relationship expert, marriage counselor, or otherwise at all qualified to draw a line at any particular instance in somebody's marriage and say, okay, at this point you should consider divorce. But in spite of my lack of qualifications, if you have yelling matches every night and dishes get thrown around, maybe you should start looking into it. The point is, you want to be able to get out of the marriage before the shotgun scenario happens, before the shotgun shooting happens, before the homicide Preferably you, your partner, and perhaps a counselor of some sort can sit down earlier in that troubled marriage and come to the same conclusion that you need to get divorced. And you can do that while you can still have some sort of amicable, no fault, we can still be friends kind of divorce. America may be beyond that point now, but I don't think it is. Yeah, some people want to burn things down and other people want to shoot the people burning things down. Some people decry the creeping fascism, others the creeping socialism. 
but I still think there's enough goodwill between people that something like an amicable divorce can happen. And that's what I think America needs. An amicable divorce, or at least as amicable as can be accomplished. The signs have been there for a while. There's the raised voices, the heated arguments, the backstabbing, the schadenfreude. And the signs keep getting clearer and clearer. The violence, the joy in inflicting pain. It's too late to save the marriage, as it were. We've only grown further apart, and we will only continue to do so. Right now, and not to demean the death, the injuries, the damage, but right now we have the equivalent of a couple of black eyes as a nation. It's the morning. We can both think clearer now. We might both regret what happened last night. We both recognize, yeah, this isn't working. We just weren't made for each other. Oh yeah, we had some good times. Oh, remember that time we got together and stormed the beaches in Normandy to defeat evil? How about that time we told England to suck it with their stupid taxes? Oh, and when we sent people to the moon, the flippin' moon. Yeah, good times. We had some good times together, but hey, things didn't always look that good. I mean, there was that big spat we had over that whole slavery and secession thing. Yeah, to be fair, we have tried this divorce thing before, but, you know, one of us decided that they didn't want to and beat the other into submission. We'll just say that there's been some rough patches. But look, it's not you. It's not me. It's us. We just, we just can't make it together anymore. We'll, we'll be fine on our own, I'm sure. It's going to be rough at first. And we still got to decide on how to divide up our belongings, but we can work something out, I'm sure. We should work something out. We have to work something out. One of us has already threatened to nuke the other. I mean, yeah, it was a stupid thought at a stupid time in a stupid moment. There was a lot of stupid going on at the time, but there seems to be a lot more stupid happening more and more often. If we don't work something out now, something bad will happen. It'll happen in November, or it'll happen in two years, or three years, or five years, or eight years, or however many years it happens, it will happen. That's it from me today, everyone. You can find me at you have me at Hayek on Twitter if you have questions or comments. Or if you just want to read my random tweets about politics, booze, work, or, you know, cute animal retweets, whatever floats your boat. Until next time, take it easy.